Hollywood, 1939. Amid the glitz and the glitter of a bustling young movie town at the height of its golden age, the Hollywood Tower Hotel was a star in its own right, a beacon for the show business elite. Now, something is about to happen that will change all that. Hello there, and welcome to the Imagineers podcast, which peels back the goalway green and looks at the inner makings of the magic that is Imagineering. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm joined, to, joined today by my co-host, Paul. How's it going, Paul? Yeah, good. Looking forward to uh, taking a trip into the Twilight Zone. Indeed, today we're going to be crossing over into another dimension, a dimension of not only sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Of course, we're going to be dropping into the Twilight Zone via the Tower of Terror at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So, Paul, before we check into this desolate hotel, what trip advisor of you would you give the Hollywood Tower Hotel? Um, I, I, I've been thinking about this, and I, I, it's trying to come up with something clever, isn't it? <laughs> when you when you think about it, so I basically came up with um, uh, drop into the Hollywood Tower Hotel uh, for a trip to the next dimension. <laughs> and would you give it three and a half stars, four stars? Uh, it's it's one of those strange ones, and and we'll go into it while we're talking about. I love the whole feel of it and everything. Once I get onto the actual ride, I'm not so much of a fan. But I will still go on it. Yeah, I think before we jump into the story, actually, my um, my the reason or the reason it's one of my favourites is when I first went to Florida, I was seven year old, and um, I uh, went on the ride. And the first time I got shoved on the ride, I wasn't really too sure what it was because I was my mum just yeah. my mum didn't know what it was. You could just hear the screaming outside, and um, so we went on it. And when we was on it, I was petrified. Like, even going through all the queues, I was screaming and stuff like that. I don't want to go on this. I don't want to go on yeah. this. I don't went on it, loved it, came back off. And then I went, I want to go back on that. I want to go back on it. <laughs> went back on it. Same thing again. Screamed and shouted. I don't want to go on this. I don't want to go on this. Loved it again. Now it's just like, it's a staple. Yeah. Staple. See, I, the first time I went to Florida, I didn't do it. It was, it was too busy. We went over Christmas. And the, like, the major attractions were... In fact, we went to uh, Hollywood Studios on Boxing Day. Um, and it was mental. So the first time I actually went on a version of this was in California. So 
um, the now defunct version. Um, we'll talk about that. So yeah, well, we we will say that today we are going to be talking about the Florida version of the ride, which was the original. Um, there are or there was version in Disney's California Adventure, which is now Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Miracle. <laughs> There's also a version in Disneyland Paris, which is currently still the Tower of Terror, but yeah. that will, I imagine, soon enough become Mission Breakout. <laughs> and then there's a, a very, very, very different version in Disney's Tokyo Sea, sea. Yeah. sea yeah, which I think is still called the Tower of Terror, but it's based around a different story. Yeah, but uh, it's, it's not connected to the Twilight Zone at all. Um, it's more linked into that whole Disney Sea storyline um, with the high high towers, I mm. believe, that's kind yeah. of now linking into Jungle Cruise as well, which is <laughs> it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's so, only taken them 30 years. <laughs> so we will talk about today the Hollywood Studios Florida uh, version of, of the ride. We might touch upon the other versions of the ride. Yeah. Um, uh, on a later episode, you know, really, the 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 other versions of the ride. I'm not too sure about Tokyo, but certainly the DCA and the Disneyland Paris ones are just kind of like, uh, like pulled back version of what we're going to supposed to talk yeah. about today. So the origins of the Tower of Terror in Hollywood Studios, Florida, actually started over 4,000 miles away at the Euro Disney Resort in the late 1980s. So we're heading back to Euro Disney, Disneyland Paris, as as it's called now, where a second phase of the resort was being developed. Imagineers were playing with the idea of a free-fall-style ride to be placed in Frontierland that was to be named Geyser Mountain. And do you want to kind of explain Frontierland? Yep, so Frontierland at Disneyland Paris, it's it's very similar to what you expect from a, a Frontierland. Um, it's it's a western town. Um, it's a strange one because it is probably, I think, the largest land at Disneyland Paris. Because when you consider how far that goes all the way to the end, that hasn't actually got anything in it. So yeah. you've got the ranch right at the far end, um, as well as the theatre. Uh, I would say it's probably the biggest land in Disneyland Paris. Probably is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but what you've got when you first walk into it, you've got what you would expect, Big Thunder Mountain right in front of you, but it's out in the middle of a lake. Um, so very similar to, to what we were actually talking about on the last episode with the um, the lakes and everything with, with stuff on it. The weenies. Um, and I can never remember that. It's, it's not the rivers of America. It's strange, isn't it? Um, I can't remember what the name of it is at Disneyland Paris now. We'll call it the Riviera de America. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Big Thunder is actually out in the middle of the lake. You actually have to, you start on the main mainland and you go under the lake and up into the mountain at Disneyland Paris. So that's right in front of you. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that mainly at another point. And also um, the second major ride of Frontierland in, in Disneyland Paris is Phantom Manor, um, which is their version of Haunted Mansion. Which we would definitely cover on it because it's probably my favourite version of uh, the kind of Haunted Mansion concept. Yeah. 
So, Geyser Mountain would have been part of this development um, as it was planning in the 1980s. Ultimately, it would have been part roller coaster and part free fall ride that would have shot guests in an upward motion in kind of a geyser fashion. So, kind of picturing that, do you think that kind of how, how would that have been in your head? Yeah, see, I didn't know that much about it. I knew there'd been plans, um, and obviously, we, we know Tony Baxter created Splash Mountain. Um, which is a, in a very similar position um, uh, uh, in both parks. In fact, it's it's right at the end of Frontierland. Um, so this actually would have gone in that same spot, um, right at the back end of, of Frontierland. Um, I actually found one video. So it's actually it's really strange, and I can I can see from your face that you're trying to work out where it was. There's one video on YouTube of the um, schematics of where it would have been so it was like a 3D model and it would have been right behind Phantom Manor oh um, so that end of it yeah and it's um, it was literally right behind and it would have absolutely towered over Phantom Manor and it did look really really strange it was obviously as I say a Tony Baxter creation um, but yeah it would have been right in that where the geysers are at Disneyland Paris where they ended up putting them in that you can mm-hmm. see when you go around on the on the boat um, that's actually the bit of land that it would have been on yeah I don't think that would have fit because because when you are down that end the theme in and it's just all kind of spooky and phantom manner you yeah. can't see how you transition so when, out of it yeah so where you come down the stairs from phantom manor when you come out and you go past the graveyard it would have been there right behind that graveyard or even possibly taking that land up yeah when when i when i was when i was picturing it i thought it would have been up the cowboy cookout kind of end no it was apparently it was this end the only video i found and it it was in french so i couldn't couldn't really and i couldn't it wouldn't let me turn subtitles on into english um but yeah that's where the schematics had it were behind phantom manor interesting Ah, I'm not too sure about that. It's a good job they scrapped that one. Yeah. Think, for the yeah. benefit of the, the visuals of the park. So we obviously yeah. know this didn't go ahead. Um, yeah. But at the same time, over in Disney Hollywood Studios, which then was called Disney MGM Studios, in my heart, it will always be Disney MGM Studios. Even though I never visited when it was it was called that. Really? I still ended up calling it that, yeah. So It'll always be MGM to me. Um it's, it's so funny talking to like new age Disney fans who are just like, oh yeah, we'll talk about this park. And I'm like, oh, you, did you go to MGM Studios? And it's like, oh, what's an MGM studio? And I'm like, MGM, oh yeah, Hollywood Studios. So Imagineers are planning a major expansion of the park, but we're missing the key ingredient, a good e-ticket attraction. So this is another one of those terms, I think, that comes up like we did a lot in the, the, the last episode, an e-ticket attraction. Do you want to kind of put in layman's terms, Paul, what an e-ticket attraction is? Yeah, so originally when um, Disneyland opened, um, it was um, there for, they had tickets that they would sell, that you would buy. You wouldn't, you'd pay for entry, but it wouldn't include all your rides and stuff like that. Um, so what they did was they actually provided you, you would buy a ticket book, um, which then would have A, B, C, D, and eventually E tickets. So you would start with the A tickets, which were 
like your really basic like carnival rides uh, and things like that. And eventually we got to e-tickets with like the big major attractions. Um, so eventually, obviously, those tickets were done away with, and now we were left with these major attractions were left to be called e-tickets. I actually never knew the history behind that. That's 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 very interesting. I never knew that. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. So it's a bit like um, when you go to like the Pleasure Beach and like the Pepsi Max is like twelve tickets, whereas like yeah. a carnival ride is like six tickets. It's kind of that yeah. kind of scale, isn't it? Yeah, you'd get less tickets so. than you would a tickets. Like yeah, ah, I never knew that. That's interesting. You've actually put that in, in, into perspective for me as well. <laughs> so. For this e-tricket attraction, the Imagineers bounced around ideas of haunted attractions based on the likes of Stephen King novels, and even considered a Dick Tracy's Cramstoppers attraction. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually the guests settled on the popular television series The Twilight Zone as the basis of their story. Um, I remember watching the two recent Twilight Zone, you know, with Jordan Peele. Did you ever yeah. get to watch that? Yeah, I, I watched the whole of the first season I've not seen any of the second season yet um, but I, I know it's now being cancelled it's not coming back um, they only and I, I think it was something to do Jordan Peele um, was signing a new contract because um, of course it was his creation this this new one mm. um, so it sounds like it was kind of his choice to walk away um, the old one I've seen bits and pieces of I, I've not seen loads of it. I've seen like the William Shatner episode um, and things like that, where where it actually got a sequel. All oh, right. The the new series. There was actually a uh, the the one on the plane. Oh yeah, that was, was the first the episode. Wasn't it? episode. Yeah, that was yeah. the sequel episode to William Shatner's episode. It had Jim Manning from um, had Jim Manning from Step Brothers. Um, yes. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of his name. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. Um, no, there was, there was. I think I don't know if his second series or first series. I think my favourite one was uh, there's one with a camcorder, and they keep coming by a copper. There's two, yeah. two. They keep coming by a copper, and they keep rewinding it. And every time they rewind yeah. it, something bad happens. Is that the first season or the second season? First, That's first season. First season. Yeah. 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 I have seen both of them. I said, "Well, shame that's been cancelled." Yeah. Yeah, I've got to admit, I've never watched any of the old ones. Um, I've only ever it's seen the new ones. It's so. not that easy to get hold of um, because it's all CBS, isn't it? So it's all on their, their streaming service in the States. So nowhere over here has got it unless you pay for it now. I'm sure I could find it somewhere in on the, the dark web somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, we won't talk about illegal activities like that. <laughs> so the Imagineers settled on a haunting setting of a hotel where in the 1930s five unsuspecting guests entered an elevator travelling to the 13th floor up to the tower. Lightning unexpectedly struck the elevator tower, mysteriously sending the occupants straight into the twilight zone. Interesting, Paul, if we refer back to episode one, we now start building on our key principles of Imagineering. We have a story and the creative intent. Do we need to build that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's certainly a, a strong storyline there, and that that is one of its. As I said in in my mention about how much I enjoy it, I think that story intent is the the big thing that grubs me. It didn't wouldn't even need to be the Twilight Zone. 
if it was just that storyline, I would still be dragged in. And yeah, we can definitely see the intent here right from the the word go, even from just that standing outside. There's a, there's an intent. You can definitely tell what you're in for. Yeah, yeah, and you can see. I think it's all about. Um, we we look at kind of the um, the long shots and the close shots. Every you can everything's yeah. telling the story that something's happened here. Something drastic's happened yeah. here. The scorch marks on the front of the building and yeah. they're missing. Every something's happened, but we don't quite know. Yeah. Going in. And, so and get, even as we even as we talked about on the last episode, it's it's the weenie. You walk up there, the and it's it's there right at the at the top of the the street, staring you in the face. Yeah, just waiting, just waiting for you to enter it. And yeah, <laughs> the guests are to be invented, invited to enter the hotel and ride an old service elevator. Now, why would you enter an old hotel and ride an old service elevator? It just health and safety. No. Yeah, yeah. Even just looking at it, you'd be like, unless you were really, really desperate, um, why would you go in there? I don't know why. <laughs> so after a send off from a bellhop that wouldn't even be getting a tip off me, terrible service. Guests then enter the fifth dimension enter, and enter the fort- unfortunate souls who disappeared that fateful night, and then drop out the skins of the whole thirteen stories. So I guess. Before we jump into this hotel, have you had any hotel stays as eventful as this one? <laughs> no, the worst the worst day I've had was um, in a hotel. I tried I tried to avoid bad hotels, like most people I'm sure do. But uh, the worst one was Disneyland Paris at the Cheyenne before it got its upgrade. I couldn't get in my room for an hour. <laughs> Just couldn't get in. It wouldn't. You put in the key in and it wasn't reading it, and it took us an hour to get in the room. So that's about as eventful my hotel stays have got. Believe it or not, I've actually been stuck in a Paris elevator in a oh. hotel. It was on a school trip. Uh, it was on a school trip when I was in year 12 or year 11. Year 9, sorry, year 9. I can't even remember what age I would have been then. And uh, we fit, um, I think it was a eight-man elevator, and we fit 14 people into it with one person jumping up and down. And the thing stopped. And we're all kind of going, oh, God, we're all going to die. And I've, all, I, I've been on the Tower of Terror at this point quite a few times, and I'm going, oh, my God. I'm yeah, going to yeah. live the Tower of Terror in real life here. This is going to snap. Obviously, I didn't know at the time that actually uh, the, the things are pulled that we won't tell them. But <laughs> at the time, I'm there going, oh, crap, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> um, it turns out that ahead of year, oh, prized the doors open with his, with his hands, like, and we was only literally, like, from up to his chest, up the floor, so we could all squeeze <laughs> out. But we actually, the weight, the weight, the weight had gone up. We thought like we were like five stories up or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we got a grill in that night. <laughs> so moving back to the development, we've covered two two of our key principles. So now we're looking at theming, detailing, and viewpoints or shots of the attraction. The Imagineers envisaged the hotel to be themed within the era of the glitz and glamour of the 1930s Hollywood. The exterior facade of the building took inspiration from the southern existing Southern California landmarks, including the Baltic Blitmore Hotel and Mission Inn. The front of the facade is also notably missing two elevator shafts and is detailed with the scorch marks where the lightning struck. Like we said there. The surrounding area is themed on Hollywood Boulevard style, featuring palm trees and architectural style based on its namesake street. All on entering Hollywood Boulevard, or now 
production courtyard. They give these horrible names now. <laughs> what is your impression of the imposing tower at the end of the street production courtyard? <laughs> it really... It, yeah, it's it's not a great name. I don't know why they've changed some of those those names, and at least they haven't changed the park name for the third time. Um, which there was rumours, wasn't there, a few years ago that that was that was going to happen? But um, oh, yeah, yeah. Of, what was what was what was the part change? It was it was it was terrible because I even kind of went, oh my gosh. Yeah, I can't remember what the the rumour was, but it was wasn't it Disney's Hollywood Adventure? weren't they just going to take the name from? California Adventure and replaced it with Hollywood, if I remember rightly. You got um, Disney copy and paste. Yeah, um, but yeah, the the impression you get, as I said, it, it's the it is the weenie of the park, really. I know a lot of people will say it's the Chinese theatre, but for me, there's nothing more imposing than that that tower. As as you turn that corner, you can you can very much feel where you're heading. Um, you are towards it. Do you not feel like um, it's almost a bit menacing? It's a yeah. bit imposing. It's a bit. And I will say that I probably think the Paris one is probably more imposing as to where it is in the park, because as soon as you walk through that gate, it's there in front of you, like looming over the whole park. Um, but yeah, with the the surrounding area around the one at Hollywood Studios. It's it really, with all those trees in front of it as well, and you can kind of feel like you have to walk up to it, kind of like Phantom Manor, in yes. a in a way, um, that you you have to walk up to it. It's, you don't walk straight in. Um, you've got that little bit of a walk, which the other towers don't have. Um, they are all literally you walk straight into the gate and and that's it. You're you're inside the, yeah. the grounds. Whereas with the Hollywood Studios one. You have to walk through that garden, don't you, to yes. get up to it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which again is another thing that that kind of pulls you in. It, it brings you into the atmosphere with the the 1930s music playing as you're walking up the up the queue. Uh, it's it really is imposing, as as you say, it is very creepy. And yeah, I can't no, imagine. When... I've never I've never been in the park when there's been a thunderstorm. So oh, I yeah. think if you were walking up to that while there was a thunderstorm on, I think it would be really really freaky yeah and then the way they've designed the queue we'll, we'll get to the queue in a minute but where they've designed it you're almost you're almost under the tower it's like just yeah i can't even describe it it's just it's like just this this thing just hovering like kind of being over like a lion just waiting over yeah. to pounce it's just it's, it's crazy this you know um i actually just need to just just need to check something here because was the area called Hollywood Boulevard or was it Sunset Boulevard? I have in the I back think it's of my Sunset. I think it was Sunset Boulevard. Hollywood's the one that you walk down when you first get in the park. Is it? Yeah, so that's the one where all the shops are. And then you turn right onto Sunset. Sunset Boulevard, that's the because one. Because yeah. there's, there's a stall called Sunshine, Sunshine Treats, I believe. One of the food stalls mm. along the left hand side as you walk up to the tower. Yeah, I just had to correct that before I moved on because I know yeah. that if, you know, our listeners will be um, jumping up and down going, it isn't that, it isn't that. So, <laughs> can't be getting these things wrong. So, in keeping with the principles of viewports and details, um, if you stand at the, so you picture the lake in Epcot, so we're going to move it over to Epcot here away from the park. 
picture the lake and you stand where you've just come into the park and you've got the big lake with all the, the think countries around. If you look to your slightly to your right and there's the Moroccan pavilion, you can actually see the back of the Tower of Terror. And Imagineers were very cognizant of this. So it's the actual rear of the Tower of Terror and all the top detailing of it is designed in a Spanish colonial revival style to make it blend in the, with the Moroccan pavilion skyline. So obviously everything kind of fit in with the views and stuff like that, which I think was very um, very smart by them to realize that, oh, we've got a problem here, we need to figure this out, you know. Um, they're also cognizant of the fact that Florida state law required any buildings that surpass 200 feet must have an aircraft beacon placed at the top. So therefore, Imagineers did the most amazing engineering thing ever and designed it to be 199 foot. <laughs> you can already see, you can already see that conversation in the office. So it's just like yeah. it's all gone cynical. It's guys, we've got a problem here. Um, We're a foot too tall. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> just make it 199. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just we'll just chop the top off a little bit. We'll be fine. <laughs> so now it's only thirteen point one four five two three four five stories high. <laughs> so have you uh, have you ever been to Epcot and noticed the Tower of Terror from? See, the last time I went to Epcot, and we're talking, I haven't been to Epcot now for how long? Just coming up seven years. The last time I went to Epcot. Um, I didn't know about it at that point, so I wasn't looking specifically. I'm sure I probably noticed it, but I did go to Universal Studios 18 months ago, and we stayed at Aventura with a room that faced towards Disney, and right. I could see it from there. Jesus. That it was different. You could see the tower, and you could see the, the different colours on the back. Oh, really? to the front. Yeah. They haven't done it that great then, have but it was just because it was the angle that I was at. Yeah. So I got Epcot was to the left of where we were staying, and then you got Hollywood Studios kind of right in front of us. So you were literally dead on with with the Tower of Terror. So you could literally see what the bit that you could see from Epcot. Yeah. I wonder on if... one bit, and then the front bit was the the bit that's in Hollywood Studios. I wonder if you went, because when you go into Fantasmic, you almost gone on the side of the tower, don't you? And you kind of yep. go into the amphitheatre to the side. I wonder if you look back on yourself and kind of, because people are so like, it's almost yeah. cap encapsulated, isn't it, the, the amphitheatre? Yeah. I wonder if you actually looked up and back on yourself, you could see that kind of, or whether they're actually considered that. It wouldn't surprise you if they've already considered that. Yeah. It you might know. be that the, the, the lake Fantasmic is just set far enough back that you don't see that bit of it. We will be doing an episode on we will be doing an episode on Fantasmic, so we will uh, yeah. have to explore that one and yeah. uh, figure out where we go with that one. So So on guarding entering the the attraction gates, you're guided through, as you mentioned, the overgrown gardens with great use of the ghost graphics that we spoke about in episode one, um, to farm signage pointing to stables, bowling carts, tennis carts and swimming pools. And the use of 1913's jazz music keeps the experience dynamic and almost pulls you, puts you on edge for the experience ahead because it's 1913's jazz music, but they put some kind of filter on it to make it sound a bit eerie. Don't they, Paul? It's, yeah. it's hard to explain. It, yeah, it's kind of, 
it kind of feels like it's it's something that, like you're watching an old video mm. of 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 a jazz dance or something like that, and it's it's got a crackly feel to it, and um, like it possibly has been played through a gramophone rather yeah. than like a modern record player, not a, not a modern modern one, but like a an original record player. It, it does sound more like it should be on a gramophone, like it's got a big horn on it. Um, and, yeah, and and I, like I also find that like the music, um, you're not in the experience just yet because you haven't entered the actual building, but the music almost feels like you've stepped into a horror movie. Yeah. That's the thing that always gets to me is like that kind of music. It's kind of like, I feel like Pennywise is going to pop up out of a yeah. car or something. You know? like, like someone's been murdered and the, the record player's been left on. Yeah, yeah. It's just like this strange horror movie kind of vibe to it. Very, very, very smart use of the, um, and there is actually a playlist online. I've, I've um, played it a few times where you can actually get other jazz songs in normal form. <laughs> um, it doesn't quite play as well though. When you, I might have to find out what filter to use just to relive it. Um, scare my children. <laughs> <laughs> so moving inside the tower, we enter the lobby of the Howlerwood Tower Hotel. And in keeping with the readability principle of Imagineering, there are a number of artifacts dotted around featuring story graphics. These give information such, such as the date that the hotel was abandoned. Have you ever noticed these, Paul? I hadn't noticed the ones in the in the lobby previously. I had noticed the one as you come out of the ride. Um, there's one as you go to the, the photo booth to get your photo. Um, there's a date uh, on it of like a, a party. Or it might be a clock. I can't remember exactly. Um, but there's definitely one at the at the end of the ride as you come out. I think it might be a clock that's got stuck on the time think, that the, yeah. the lightning struck. Yeah, I think there is. I think there is a clock as you as you kind of coming out and going into the um, going into the uh, the the shop, isn't it? It's yeah. as you're coming out of the ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, Which I the, those shops I could spend hours in. Do you mean actually theme shops that actually yeah. have theming of the riding? Yeah, that's what I mean. See, I I used to love the one at Paris as well, but that's gone by the wayside as well these days. It's uh, mainly Jack Skellington these days, isn't there, I think? So if you're listening to this, another um, podcast on the network that Paul's a uh, part of is the uh, Discover DLP podcast. And I think on a numerous occasion now, I've uh, messaged into the guys going, discuss why we haven't got shots for the specific rides because the Tower of Terror used to be great you used to get like um, bathrobes with the Hollywood Tower Hotel room keys and slippers and all sorts you used to be able to get bellhop costume and everything now it's just like like you said Jack Skeleton and whatever they want to throw in there yeah I'll still go in there because it, it looks great I'll still go in and take photos of the the set decoration and stuff like that but it's very rare I buy anything in there these days I can't go in there unless I'm going through it to exit the ride. It just churns my stomach. I just want to go to a cast member and go, what have you done here? What have you done? I think about all they've got these days is uh, is the bell that you can buy. Yeah, you can get the bell. Yeah, that's about it. Hidden way in the corner, like, yeah. this isn't, this is part of the ride, but it's not part of the shop. Yeah. So, yeah, a few story graphics um, feature, like, um... There's a few newspapers dotted around in the in the lobby, um, kind of showing 
the date that obviously everyone's just kind of like dropped a newspaper and ran out and it's just been left there ever since there's cobwebs in the um in the in the lobby to say to, to kind of get the impression that it's been left there a while or very ornate but at the same time it's very shabby further to the story graphics there's also a few hidden nods to the twilight zone within the lobby area there is a poster advertising anthony Fremont's orchestra and that's displayed next to the concierge desk in the lobby and Fremont was the young boy with godlike powers from the episode it's a good life which keep that in your head it's, it's a good life is going to appear very soon in a different context so we'll pin that in the concierge desk a photo play magazine issue is seen open to the article titled four pages of hilarious star creatures caricatures 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 yeah there we go (laughs) by walt disney i'm not doing english very well today (laughs) although not not a reference to the twilight zone there's a felt letterboard with the hotel's directory for amenities located between the inoperable elevators in the lobby with the missing letters that have fallen to the bottom to the board to spell you are doomed um originally the letters at the bottom of the board spelled out evil tower unfortunately after the terrorist attacks of september 11 2001 disney opted to remove these letters so moving on from the lobby the guests are ushered into one of the two libraries where they wait for their rooms to be ready and that one always just gives me the shudders Yeah, it, it's very similar, isn't it, to the, the stretching room? And it, it makes you feel very claustrophobic. Yes. That you, yes. you, They kind of make you stand in the middle of the room and leave the gap around the outside. And oh. it just makes you all feel very, like, pushed together. I'm assuming at the moment they probably don't do that because they want you as spread out as much as possible. But, um, yeah, on a normal operating day... Um, it does, it feels very claustrophobic in that room. And do you know what the thing I always got was, like, between the, the stretching room and this one, they do the same with the two of them, make you stand in the middle, don't they? Yeah. And I always had this thing in my head, and no matter how many times I've been on it, I always think it might change this, is when this make you stand there, someone's going to pop out the sides. Yeah. And someone's going to get you from the sides, and someone's going to reach out and grab you somewhere. Never happens, because obviously they don't, they don't do that, but I just... With the way they shove you in the middle of the room, it's just like, it always gets me. Um, and we'll talk about the stretching room when we when we do it. Don't think this one has the same effect, because I think it's just a preloading area, as the yeah. stretching room has a specific yeah. purpose. And we'll talk yeah. about that when we talk about it. I think it's only Phantom Manor that has that, isn't it? Yeah. Because of a specific reason. Yeah. Which we'll talk about during the Phantom Manor episode. <laughs> but by the yeses, I think we're both on the same page. Yeah. 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 So, during the guest stay in the library, a pre-show starts, telling the story of one fateful 1939. The pre-show was directed by Joe Dante, most notable for his movie Gremlins. Gremlins, what a film! Oh, that was a great one, wasn't it? So I'm not a massive fan of Gremlins. Really? I don't like. Yeah, it's just one of those films that I could, I've never got to grips with. I don't know why. That was a great film. Um, what was and the I like? I like Chris Columbus as well, who directed that, and it's just I couldn't couldn't get to grips with that. What was the little furry thing called Mo- Mowgli? Was it Mo Mogwai? Yeah, Mowgli. Mo- uh-huh. Yeah, it's Mo- Mogwai. 
Mogwai, that was it. That was that's the it, cutest yeah. little thing ever. Like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For years, my I've got a, a brother that's that's twenty years older than me, and for years, because he was that much older than me, he had a stuffed Mogwai <laughs> because he, he he was kind of into his into his films by that point and and things like that. So he had that for years. And don't get me wrong, I will sit and watch it, but it's not one of those ones that I'm going to go and search out. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I said Chris Columbus directed it, of course. We've already mentioned it was... Joel Dante. But Chris Columbus produced it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like his work, obviously, the the early Harry Potter films and, and things like that he, he was involved in. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those... One of those ones that I've never been able to get into properly. That's interesting. I, I probably haven't seen it in a while, but I'd still consider it the classic. So, yeah. Now, despite the fact that Rod Sterling had died in 1975, almost 20 years prior to the opening of the attraction, Imagineer considered his narration integral to the story. Uh, Disney opted to hold auditions to cast his voice, with Carol Sterling, Rod's wife, serving as the consultant for casting. After many auditions, Mark Silverman was chosen to, by Rod's wife as the provider of husband's voice. He, they used archival footage of Sterling used in the pre-show, uh, was taken from the episode It's a Good Life, which we mentioned before. Now, Mark Silverman, his name appears somewhere else on Disney, and I can't think of it off the top of my head. Um, I was actually lucky enough to arrange an interview with him. Oh, really? Uh, Oh, back in the days of Diz After Dark, before we changed our name, um, I actually got him onto the show and we had a, a an hour or so long interview with him. Um, so go and dig through the uh, Disney Parks and Beyond back catalogue and you will find that interview with Mark. And that will probably tell me where I've heard his name. And Yeah, he's Disney done all sorts, all sorts of things over the years. He's, he's portrayed... I know he, he's portrayed Sylvester Stallone in video games... Um, all sorts of things. Uh, I think he played, he'd done Pacino's voice in the Godfather game Jesus. and all sorts of things. Yeah, he, he's had an absolutely fantastic career. Uh, yeah, so listeners go and dig back in, in the, the archives of the uh, Disaster Dark, but I'm also going to do the same after this to figure <laughs> out why, why he jumps out at me so much. Um, so within the library, Imagineers further applied principles of detail, along with some hidden makers along the way. Further references to the Twilight Zone include the Mystic, Mich- the Mystic Seer machine from the episode Nick of Time, can be seen sitting on the high shelf in the libraries nearby the television. The book, titled To Serve Man, from the episode of the same name, is seen in both libraries. From the episode The Invaders... The characters are found on display in both libraries. They're also present in Walt Disney Studios Park, which is the Paris one. Yeah, which I believe that also got a sequel in that new series. That was the one with the guy from The Walking Dead. Um, you're gonna have to, I've never watched The Walking Dead, so you might have to tell me um, what happened in that one. It's the, the one when he, he gets arrested and he's in prison and then all of a sudden he, he becomes an alien right at the end. Oh, you remember the um the 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 Chinese fella? Yeah. Might not be Chinese, but that's just very yeah. stereotypical. And I apologise if he's not Chinese, but yeah. that's the only way that can identify him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that was the sequel to the Invaders. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah, 
I might have to watch the Invaders one then because I, I particularly enjoyed that one. Yeah. That's the one where they're having the Christmas party, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and an envelope with the name Rod Sterling can be found on be found in one of the libraries as well as another envelope with the name Victoria West in the other library, a reference to the episode a World of His Own. Eagle Eye guests might also notice that the little girl within the pre-show is holding a Mickey doll, so there's one of you hidden Mickeys. Yeah, and I had I had noticed that. Um, it's a strange one because it's it's pretty much the same character that Kirsten Dunst plays in the film version. <laughs> I thought we were going to make a whole episode about mentioning. Uh, <sighs> what would it take? Steve Guttenberg was Steve Guttenberg, and oh my lord! Yeah, yeah, it's um. I don't even think it's on Disney Plus. I don't think they're even accepting that it exists. <laughs> well, well, they've accepted that Haunted Mansion exists. They can't. They can't hide that. Oh, stop! I don't okay. even think the Tower of Terror got a cinema release. I think it went straight to DVD. Yeah, I remember. I I, I can't remember how how I came across. I think I, I think I got it on. No, it was VHS. Wouldn't have been DVD. It was VHS because it's that old. Yeah. Um, and I actually rewatched that um, a few months back. I rewatched it because I remembered. Do you remember? Do you ever have that thing where you're like, I swear to God, a movie was made about this, and you're like, Nah. So then I went researching for it, rewatched, and like, My God, this is awful. Yeah. This is absolutely awful. I think I've only ever seen bits of it because I, back in my my teenage years, I was a I was a big fan of Kirsten Dunst. Obviously, from the the Spider Man era, yes. um, so I'm sure I must have seen bits of it back when like YouTube was in its infancy, and like they had little clips of it. Um, but yeah, I've never seen it all the way through. <laughs> right, uh, we've now dedicated um, three minutes of our podcast to that god awful film. <laughs> Let's move on. We will go no further. Um, please do not watch that film. Um, but look out for the uh, Tower of Terror movie review. Yes, yes. <laughs> so once the pre-show is finished, the guests wonder why they didn't just go for the more expensive option on Booking.com. Other hotel booking sites are available. They are directed through the boiler room where they await the maintenance service elevator's arrival. In one of the waiting elevators, areas to the elevator chart marks can be seen on one of the walls in the waiting area that leads from the ele- elevator unload a reference to the episode little girl lost the attraction has four elevator shafts which imagineers identify as alpha Bravo, bravo charlie and delta it should be noticed that noted that the ride vehicle guests are in is essentially made, made up of two components in the front and rear elevator shafts, there's a module that produces the vertical motion movements of the ride, so going up and down the shafts. And the component the guests are actually seated in essentially provides the horizontal movements and rolling in and out of the modules that provide the vertical movements. So try and, this, try and do this from a different angle. You're basically going in and out of two elevator shafts that go up and down. And you're sat in like a little car that moves into the other little car that takes up and down. If that did it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So when you first get in your your vehicle, you go up, then you go along in what you've got into another one that goes up and down. 
Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's yeah. Better way of putting it than me. Yeah. I was trying to. I was going a real layman's term, layman's terms. Yeah. That's... Up and down, side to side. Backwards and forwards, side to yeah. side. The Venga bus is going up and down. <laughs> so when the guests are loaded, the lights dim and the elevator rises up through the rear shaft. So through Alpha Bravo, Charlie and Delta. There's a single window at the opposite end of the corridor. A violent thunderstorm is raging and lightning flashes outside the window. The five missing passengers from 1939 appear for several moments, turning to face the elevator and beckoning guests to join them. Yeah, you, you should have really just got a different hotel. Like, then they disappear in a burst of electricity. The corridor fades away, but the window remains until it appears to be floating in a dark field of stars. The window morphs into the window from the season five opening sequence and breaks. Because of space limitations in the dark ride shafts, the corridor scenes are actually stacked on top of one another between the shafts, where the outside shafts having them on a higher floor than the inside shafts. So like. If you've got Alpha and Delta on the two outside shafts, and you've got Bravo and Charlie on the inside shafts. So the two outside shafts, the corridors are a little bit higher than the two inside shafts. So you're at different levels when, you're pre, when your show's going on. So we, 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 we touch upon the, the differences between the two of them before we kind of go on to the, the what is known as the fifth dimension scene. Difference between the, the DCA Paris and the this one that we're talking about so the dca and paris one is all based around one shaft it's all with it happens within one shaft so you have your the the different corridor scenes are all stacked on each other but then you're also dropping and falling within the same shaft so yeah. it's all one shaft whereas this one is you've got corridors within alpha bravo charlie delta and then you move through the fifth dimension scene into another set of shafts which does the the um, the drop sequence, yeah. so that's the difference between the two of them. So it's a bit more of a simpler version that they put in DCA and Paris. Um, not too sure about Tokyo. I would have to look that one up. Yeah, I've not I've not taken that much of a close look at it um, to know other than the fact that I know it's not Twilight Zone. <laughs> we might have to do a Tokyo one because I think that yeah, like everything in Tokyo is probably. 10 times better than anywhere yeah. else so so we've, we've got up in the shafts and the final opening of the doors the doors open to what looks like look like it's going to be a maintenance room so there are two corridors for what is known to be the fifth dimension sequence and this is obviously where it differs from the dca and Paris version with alpha and bravo using one corridor so it's almost like a fork going into one you've got alpha and bravo bravo kind of one at a time goes into one, and then Charlie and Delta goes into the other one. And I'm doing hand signals here, <laughs> as if you can see this. So if you just imagine two, it, like like the Spice Girls says, two becomes one. <laughs> at this point, I should know that whilst Al- Alpha is running its ride sequence, Bravo is unloading and loading. The same occurs with Charlie and Delta. So it's kind of interchangeable, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Makes sense. It means that you can get your capacity of the ride. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. While one's actually doing the ride, the other one's emptying and and refilling. Yeah, and having creepy creepy bell hops telling you to have a good stay. At which point you just why just this great booking, this great hotels you can get for free yeah. cancellation. Like, come on. 
The essential premise of the fifth dimension scene is a slow transformation of the maintenance room into a field of stars. The elevator car emerges horizontally from the lift shaft into, and enters the corridor. The module that the guests are seated in is called an automated guide vehicle, or AGV for short. So how this works is a slot is cut into the floor and a wire is placed approximately one inch below the surface of the, of the floor. Um, the wire cuts the path that the AGV is to follow. This wire used, is used to transmit a radio signal and a sensor is installed at the bottom of the AGV close to the ground. The sensor detects that the relative position of this radio signal being transmitted from the wire. This information is used to regulate the steering circuit, making the AGV follow the wire. And it's become quite a very, it's, it's a very commonly used, yeah, since so this ride is very commonly used now within Disney. I didn't know any of this, so this is really teaching me. As soon as I read that, it, it makes sense straight away. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, that's how they do it. Because you can't see anything in the, in the floor. And you would know if there was something there. So this is really kind of explained it to me as well. Yeah, I think um, they've now gone to the nth degree of making AGVs do crazy things. And the ride that comes to mind is the Ratatouille ride. Yeah. which is in Disneyland Paris, but then now being moved up to Epcot, in yeah. that they can now tell... Oh, no, wait, maybe that's done differently. We'll do an episode on that. I don't think Yeah, and I think Rise of the Resistance is similar as well, isn't it? Yeah, but With I don't their know new vehicles. I don't know if that's wires, yeah, or I'm whether sure it's either. a different se sequence. I have to check that one. But this was the first of the kind of using a floor that looks like you're just driving along the floor, but you're actually being guided by a wire. The effect of the fifth dimension sequence as you pass through it are simply just plastic cutouts of image shining on them from a projector. The twinkling starlights and fiber optic lights, mirror and reflective surfaces also contribute to the effect. So if you've ever been on this ride, you kind of, when you're going through it, you almost feel like you're sat in this expansive, like, starscape kind of thing with things kind of around and stuff like that and the room feels a lot bigger it's mirrors reflective surfaces peppers ghosts you know all the the crazy things like that um if you're seated in an advantageous position i.e a front row seat far right far left depending on which fault you're entering from um, you can sometimes see the red lights on the underside of your vehicles reflecting the mirrors of the fifth, fifth, fifth dimension so you can almost see what's actually yeah. shooting out from the other vehicle so now we'll now move on to the fun part yeah I, I guess so I guess it's the fun part what part we're now about to enter the twilight zone but I'm going to hold you back a minute there because before <laughs> we enter the drop sequence I'm going to just, just gonna edge you in a little bit there's an unofficial hidden mickey now if you remember in the last episode we are talking about hidden mickeys and I said, I did have a hidden Mickey favourite, which was the same as yours. It was the, the one around the Chinese theatre. But when I when I was researching this, I didn't realise this one happened, and now I love it. <laughs> so, basically, before you enter the elevator shaft, there's a star field which kind of forms, toward, forms in the middle and then opens like a door for you to go into the shaft. So, just as the star field's forming, you can actually see the hidden mickey kind of forming now if you apparently if you ask a disney cast member on this they deny this as a non-existent hidden mickey well it's kind of an inadvertent one either imagine it's like fun or they've just somehow got disney on the brain yeah 
So we're gonna get quite. We're gonna get. We're gonna get deep now. We're gonna get deep into falling. So I hope. I hope you like free falls. So from passing from the fifth dimension scene, cars from shafts Alpha and Bravo enter into vertical shaft Echo. Charlie and Delta enter shaft Foxtrot. So we've got Alpha Bravo walking into De Echo, Charlie Delta enter into Foxtrot. Yeah. As you're entering the, the vertical shaft, Rod Sterling is providing narration. Paul, do you want to do your big, best Rod Sterling voice? I, mm, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not an impressionist at all. <laughs> I'd probably end up sounding like Donald Duck. All right, do it in your voice then, if you want. <laughs> uh, no, you go for it. You are about to discover what lies beyond the fifth dimension, beyond the deepest, darkest corner of the imagination, in the Tower of Terror. And upon the last word, the drop sequence begins. Yeah. How was that? Yeah. It's that was good, yeah. <laughs> I should get myself called up when they need to redo it. When it becomes yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, Tower of Terror drop in, yeah. I don't know what is going to get a main for that. Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, now, when dropping, most guests think that they're actually falling at the rate of gravity, when in fact, the free fall and inverted commas, which no one can see on a podcast, is controlled by cables attached to both the top and bottom of the vertical module. This means that at top speeds you're falling is around 39 miles an hour, achieving a true amount of weightlessness. You're being pulled down. Yeah. Which, now I know that fact makes me feel a lot better going into an elevator that you're not going to get pulled down. In order to achieve this effect, two enormous motors are located at the top of the tower, measuring at 12 feet tall, 30 feet, uh, 35 feet long, and weighing at 132,000 pounds 60,000 kilograms, and they're, they're able to accelerate at 10 short tons, 9.1 ton, at 15 times the speed of normal elevators. They generate 275 times the torque of a Chevrolet Corvette engine, reaching top, reaching top speed in 1.5 seconds. My God. And if, I'm sure you've watched it. <laughs> I'm sure you've watched it already, Paul, but there's a great um, video on YouTube where they go behind the scenes of the Tower of Terror talk about the AGVs and talk about that and they actually take you into the room with the the motors in at the top of the the two Echo and Foxtrot shafts my god those things are huge yeah they really are I did I actually literally as soon as you you sent what we were doing I, I went and searched out as I said I found that one for Geyser Mountain and then I found found this one for um, Tower of Terror um, and went through it and I, I didn't know any of this so it's it's really opened my eyes as to what powers that ride <laughs> yeah what what powers the demon behind that ride yeah the twilight zone a fun fact in developing this attraction is that the Otis elevator company who have created a ridiculous amount of famous elevators including the I believe the Eiffel Tower and everything like that uh, actually created a vertical ride system on the instruction that they wanted the elevator to fall Try going to an elevator, elevator manufacturer and telling them you, you want their elevator to fall. Yeah, yeah, I bet that was um, a strange conversation to have. So we want you to design this elevator. It's going to take people up, but we want to drop them as quickly as possible. Well, that's not safe. Yeah. 
Um, the drop sequence has changed over the years. When the rise first opened, the drop was only done once. Today, the drop happens numerous times. Not only are there more drops, the Imagineers have created a new and exciting way to enjoy the attraction. They have created four different sequences that are randomly selected electronically. electronically. So experience may differ from other families or from different times you ride. A nice, nice touch on Walter's cardinal rule of always plus enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it did. It has made a difference. I I noticed the difference the last time I rode it, um, and now I believe Paris have also done the same, haven't they? They've changed theirs now um, to be randomised as well. They've 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 done um, they've done a very good tweak on it. That what was it called? They branded it a certain way, didn't they? When they mm. did it, the fright. Frightness, the tower fright, or the towers choose. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, because like yeah, they did it originally. It was for Halloween, wasn't it? Yeah. They changed it around the Halloween period, and then they ended up keeping it. But I watched a YouTube. I haven't been on it since, because every time I've tried to go to Paris, something's gone wrong, and then COVID, and then. Oh. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I haven't been to Paris for two years now. I've had multiple trips booked, as you as you know. Yes. listening to our show <laughs> I'm, I'm on I think my fourth booking now since Covid started um, but I'm hoping I might actually get there at some point later on this year are they staying at the Hollywood Tower Hotel? Uh, no I don't even stay on property most of the time no. <laughs> so... that would truly be on property that yeah. way um, yeah they've, they've, they've done it now that like I've only watched a YouTube video of it but like the girl's kind of laughter is heard around the the, the elevator and it's just, it just yeah. adds this element of creepiness. Yeah. It's all based around the little girl now. Yeah. Rather than the whole family. It's the little yeah. girl. And children and horror movies. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't get any creepier, could you, really? Yeah, that's why you never trust children. If a child comes up to you and asks you for sweets, run away. So upon finishing the drop sequence, the elevator backs into the unloading area from the vertical shaft. A few more references can be found in the form of a slot machine from the episode The Fever and the Ventriloquist, Dome Caesar from the episode Caesar and Me. I think I've seen Caesar and Me. Yeah, I think I've seen that one as well because it's it's one of those popular tropes, isn't it, having a ventriloquist stomach? It's been used quite a lot since then. Is that the one where it turns out the actual ventriloquist isn't the dummy? Yeah. It's the man. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. If I remember rightly, yeah, I definitely, and it's been in used that that trope's been used in things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all sorts of things in yeah. more recent years. So it is one of those ones that are stuck in a proper pop culture reference, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're off the ride now, and we've we've entered into the gift shop, which is amazingly themed around the Tower of Terror, and it hasn't got any Jack Skeleton stuff in, and uh, it's actually done right. Um, how do you feel about checking into cheap hotels now? Uh, yeah, I don't think I, I will be. I think I'll pay that extra bit of money to stay somewhere a bit nicer. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna just just run through a few of the structural basis that the t- the tower is actually designed on because obviously the tower has such a dynamic load going through it. You've got things going up and down, left, right. You've also got the exterior to set forces. You're in Florida, which is hurricane. It's crazy. So, the tower is based on an advanced dynamic analysis to model the effects of the moving parts on the structural and non-structural elements. 
Since the facility was intended to provide new and non-repeatable sensations to visitors, a very wide variety of elevator drops and sequences of downwards and upward motion spanning anywhere from 1 to 13 drops were modelled. So they basically just modelled every form of movement, every form of drop and kind of lift up that you could imagine on this tower to make sure that there's no weak spots in it. Each elevator drop mode was analysed as a time history and in other words, acceleration that changed in time, applied to the entire structural system. The object was to push the motion beyond the free fall and to provide the thriller to the riders while ensuring the structural integrity and safety of the tower. In addition to the self-weight of the structure, when, when motors weighing 270 kilopounds move, the force they exert on the structure is amplified by an order of magnitude. The applied accelerations were tested in a model over a range of 1G to 2.5G. Um, I'm just trying to think, what does a what does a astronaut an astronaut is three G, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I think you get I think you get to four G before you pass out. Yeah. It's crazy. That sounds about right. Yeah. So I don't think I think, don't think the rides ever reached two and a half G. If it has, I'm, I'd be very surprised. But it was yeah. I, it's, there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of pressure on that for for just sitting there in your seat. Yes. With no protection at all. So. In addition to the strength requirements, the design applied very stringent deflection-like criteria. So as you imagine, when you're getting pulled up and down, the floors and the tower is deflecting on itself. Yeah. In the case of the tower, the floors have to spot cabs while in a horizontal motion in and out of the elevators with minimal deflections to, to avoid blurry projection streams. So like, it, it must be a it must be a mind-boggling task that like. As a, as a, from an engineering background, you, you learn about bending moments and sheer force on uh, structural elements. And to design something that you know a big motor is going to be sat at the top of that, being pushing and pulling the weight yeah. of a car. How you do that whilst ensuring that all the visual elements stay intact is just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal bit of engineering that I just think is often overlooked. Yeah. as part of the Tower of Terror. Definitely. It's it's one of those rides that you, when you go through what we've just gone through, to know what goes into it, to get it to run, how it's been built, the tests that it's gone through to, to keep it going through. And we know, certainly the Paris one has had structural problems in recent years, um, where it's had to be partially rebuilt um, because it wasn't built properly. Um, you just know what it's what it's gone through to certainly the one that's been there the longest to still be fine having not gone through any real rehab at all at any I, point I think that the, 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 correct me if I'm wrong though was the Paris one um, to do with the fact that so when you build these things in America you get a blueprint and you build the things the materials that expect from America and I think what they tried to do with the France one is they tried to use the same blueprint and tried to use the same materials. Yeah. But French materials, the source, the same stone and same cement and everything like that as you would in America, they have different quarries and different types of stone and stuff. So it's had yeah. to change it up a little bit and stuff, you know, like French contractors do, you know. Yeah. Um, contractors do in general, just contractors for God's sake. <laughs> um, and wasn't it that the material changes they'd made actually weakened the structure? Slightly, yeah, and then they had to like get some engine imagineers in from America to go actually 
you should have built it like this. Yeah, yeah, there was bits of bits of it coming off. For for a while, when I first started going really regularly, like when I first got my my annual pass, they actually had netting round the tower to catch bits that were coming off. So definitely want to (laughs) see. No, really not. Um, But then, yeah, for a couple of years, they were they were working on it to make it sound again. And now it's back up to its full glory after COVID for the next year and a half until it becomes mission. Because let's face it, it's going to happen. Yeah, I, happen. I, I think once we've got Marvel campus, open, Avengers campus open, I think they'll be able to take it down and give it another refurb. Anyone <laughs> who can't see this right now, I'm shaking my head in anguish because we've got an M62 industrial park that's now going to replace this beautiful attraction. Like, the thing that upsets me is because it's my favourite ride like, ever is this, right? And the reason I'd love going to Disneyland Paris, I most of the time only go for that ride. Because I love that ride, I think it's great. And I don't want to sit there and listen to Chris Pratt be a Pratt. <laughs> I want to sit no, there. You're of the same opinion of him as I am, then. I just hate the whole Guardians of the Galaxy... I just, I just hate it. Like, just don't mess my ride. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, coming from being a massive Marvel fan, um, I'm not a, a massive fan of Chris Pratt because Chris Pratt plays Chris Pratt in everything, every role that he's in. <laughs> <laughs> like Star Lords in Jurassic World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of those actors. He's got no. Um... He's got no, uh, no range. No range. Uh, that was a. I was going to say flexibility. So, anyway, before we uh, deviate too much on criticizing Chris Pratt, and I feel like at the moment I'm going to throw something against the wall, thinking about the fact that Tara Tara might be going out of Paris. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining me again today, Paul. That's yeah, great. I've I've really enjoyed it. As I said, it's one of those strange attractions that I have a massive love for but don't particularly enjoy actually riding it. <laughs> I think that's the whole point of the attraction, though. Yeah. You're not supposed to enjoy it's, riding it. <laughs> and it's one, of the, it's one of those few Disney rides that give you that feeling. So it is it is different in that sense. Yeah, such an original, amazing ride, and then they can't put the mission break. Um, yeah, so, so we look forward to speaking again in a future podcast of the Imagineers podcast and uh, we look forward to peeling back more of the Galway Green on some of our favourite attractions. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Cheerio.
This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast Network.